Podcast Network. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Hey everyone, welcome to I'm Need More Wine, a podcast in which I talk about TV shows and movies with special guests while enjoying a glass or two, or sometimes three, of wine. We talk shit about shit. This is Jocelyn, and as always, I am so happy to be back with my partner in crime, Candy, since we're talking about crime syndicates today. Uh, Candy is back on the <laughs> podcast with me this week. Candy, say hello to the lovely listeners, please. Yeah, it's your girl. Glad to be Woo-hoo. back. All right. So y'all, I am still uh, back on my bullshit. I'm still rolling through all of my greatest hits, the shows that I love that I haven't yet discussed on the podcast. And this week is no different. We are staying in the lane of messy, fun, complicated female characters who are delightful to watch as they do bad things. As I like to say, I support some women's rights and some women's wrongs. And we're going to be talking about a woman this week whose wrongs I will wholeheartedly support. Doesn't matter what she does. I'm always going to be on her team. And so we're going to travel back in time to the 1990s in South Jamaica, Queens for the pilot episode of the Stars Network series, Raising Canaan, starring Makai Curtis and the love of my life, who I've talked about multiple times on this podcast, Patina Miller. We're actually talking about a show this week that's still on the air, y'all. A rare, rare occasion. Y'all know I love me some stuff that's already run, but you know, the third season premieres on Friday, December 1st, so I thought it was a perfect time to revisit the pilot and hopefully encourage some of you all to give the show a try. I'll talk a little bit more about the Powerverse generally in a bit, but I just want to say up front that you do not have to watch a single second of power in order to watch Raisin Caney. Indeed, the show is about the character Caney Stark, who was portrayed by 50 Cent on the star's show Power. But this is a prequel with entirely new characters. So none of what the hell happened in Power, it doesn't matter. Will it give you some layers and context and make you think about things you may have seen if you watched Power? Certainly. But in order to engage with this show, you do not have to know anything that happened on Power, which is why I think it is just a perfect show to to, to cover for a pilot discussion, or as I like to call them, our boozy beginnings discussion. So before we hop in our time machine candy and head over to South Jamaica, Queens, tell us what you're drinking this week. Okay, so this morning I'm doing an, a staple, an oldie, and, but a goodie, the UCC um, brand matcha latte. I just, I love all of those uh, bottled drinks. I love matcha lattes the best, and it reminds me of Japan, so... When I'm feeling reminiscent, I get a UCC drink. I love it because Raising Canaan, for me, is a show. It's a show that strikes nostalgic chords. It is. It makes me reminisce on, you know, fun times, good times, good days. I mean, okay, there is a lot of, like, violence. But you know what I mean? From, like, the fashions <laughs> and the moment. It is. It, it definitely, it, it's one of those shows that makes you reminisce. So I love that that is, that that theme is consistent with what you're sipping on this week. And I, it's mid-afternoon on a Sunday, which is East Coast time, which is usually when Candy and I record. So it's the brunchy hour. I am having my tried and true sangria although i have switched brands y'all so i do still love my barefoot but i've now switched over to 
Madria sangria? I don't know. I just like the taste a little bit better. So that's what I'm drinking. Um, I have thankfully had both breakfast and lunch. So <laughs> this will not, <laughs> I will hopefully not spiral out no because of a glass of wine as I did um, at the end of, I think it was that Rome episode where it, get, it got real wild towards the end there. Y'all, this is your reminder that on this podcast, we drink, we know things, we use adult language, and we have a great time. All right, let's get into this episode's discussion. Um, As a reminder, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, welcome. We don't do blow-by-blow scene recaps. We talk about themes and impressions, and we will dig into certain scenes when it's appropriate. And our discussion will be limited to the pilot only. I may talk about sort of how I thought about things from power, but I'm not going to get into specifics like, oh, this thing happened to this person in power and it made me, I'm not going to, we're not going to get into that um, level of detail. It, it really will just be a conversation about the Raising Canaan pilot. And um, yeah, okay. So this, that's sort of the backdrop to the conversation. And I wanted to just start off with giving you, in case you're new to this um, and you're new to the power verse, I did want to just give a few tidbits about the power verse itself so as i mentioned raising canaan is part of the power verse power was a stars network series that went for six seasons starring amari hardwick and joseph sakura and that's where this all began um during that series 50 cent portrayed the adult version of canaan stark who put ghost portrayed by amari hardwick and tommy joseph sakura onto the game he was like you know a hustling mentor to them um and depending on the season uh, Kanan could be friend or foe, depending on their shared interest or what they had going on. But, you know, it, it's I actually did quite enjoy the dynamics between Tommy Ghost and Kanan during the original Power series. And, you know, when people think about the Powerverse, they often associate with associated with 50 Cent, as they should. I mean, he indeed has been a driving force behind the show's success, and he is an executive producer. But I did just want to note that it should that Courtney Kemp, uh, a woman, is the creator of Power. It was the first series she ever sold and pitched, which is quite an accomplishment. And since Power has ended, there have been three spinoffs, Power Book 2, Ghost, which stars Mary J. Blige and Michael Rainey Jr., Power Book 3, which is what we're talking about today, Raising Canaan, and then there is Power Book 4 called Force, a.k.a. for all of us in the listening audience who are familiar with the power verse, we call it the Tommy show. Um, Raising Canaan is the Raising Canaan is the only spinoff. That's a prequel. Um, and it's actually, it was an interesting gamble, right? Because and Kendi, I want to hear your thoughts on this too, before we even get into the pilot. Canaan wasn't exactly like a character that I would call a fan favorite on power. And I think when there were that's conversations nice. About the the spinoffs that were coming out, um, I would have never guessed that one of them would have been centered on Kanan. Um, he just, I think there are a whole lot of other characters that would have felt, you know, like more obvious choices. But in my opinion, it did end up being the perfect choice. And although, like I said, you don't need to know anything about Kanan in power to enjoy the series, getting to know him as a teen and to have his cousin Jukebox on the show. Jukebox was also in the power series as central characters. It does put an interesting lens on what happens with those two in the main power series. But Katie, what did you think? Like, you know, when the spinoff news came out, I know you haven't really engaged with the spinoffs, but you knew that there was one about Kanan and you had watched, you know, you watched most of power. What did you think about it when they were like, okay, we're going to do a whole show about Kanan of all people. Right. So I was telling Jocelyn, um, 
I'm familiar with the power of verse, but I didn't, I didn't watch it all the way to the very end. I fell off, I think a little after season four, I might've fell off at the beginning of five. So I didn't finish the series. And for me, um, yeah, Canning was not the main character for me. Um, I always thought this series more centered around uh, ghosts and Tommy and can't, I, it's true. Like every, like originally Kanan seemed like the boogeyman on the peripheral yes. outside. Yes. And then, and then when he started coming into the series, he would jump in and out. And sometimes he would be friendly. Most times he was foe. So yeah, I didn't. Um, so I hadn't watched this, the raising Kanan. I, I didn't, I wasn't interested in the spinoffs, but I got to say this spinoff is excellent. And like Jocelyn said, you don't have to watch power. You don't have to be familiar with power at all to get into raising Canaan. And I don't know if this is because I'm also, I had said in the last podcast, I'm really digging Gen Z, which is a spinoff for the boys. And I like it better than um, the boys. And Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I kind of like raising the format of raising Kanan is a lot more cleaner than Power to me. Like yes. the story is more sharp; it's easy to understand. Like you're seeing his roots, and it's like, okay, I get like you're seeing his mom. She, you're seeing her struggle, her struggles as she tries to run an empire, and you can see like Kanan's life through her eyes. And vice versa. So I'm kind of liking Raising Canaan better than Power. So I'm I'm gonna ride with Raising Canaan. So it's a very good show. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> it feels like the writers going into and you. I would say this about all of the spinoffs because I think they're all good, but they're all good in their own very unique way. Of the three, this is the one that I like the most. But I will say that. At least thus far with both this one and the one uh, that stars Tariq, uh, Power Book, Power Book 2, um, you, you feel a restraint in the writing that I think had gotten away from the team as, as, as the original Power <laughs> series, <laughs> you know, went on. Um, I don't know if it's because, you know, we have these, particularly with Raising Kane, it's a much more sort of focused universe like yes they're characters that are coming in and being introduced but at its core this is about the thomas family you know and their business and their family dynamics so i don't know maybe it is sort of the more focused subject matter allows for that restraint but either way i agree i it for me i am enjoying watching this uh much more than i did power on a whole and power was always up and down for me. Um, I liked it and I was a completionist. I finished it, but I find more consistent enjoyment with raising Canaan. And frankly, I'll say with also with both of the, all the spinoffs, I, I am on, on a whole, just enjoying the viewing experience um, more than I thought that I would, particularly with power book two, because, you know, that one is centered on, the go- the son of Ghost, and I I did not care for Tariq in the main Power series, and I wasn't all that jazzed about him being the subject of a spinoff. But I mean, Mary J. Blige steals that show. Like it is the Monet Tejada show. For those of you that know, if you watch it, you know who Monet Tejada is. Like it has been a delightful surprise to see in both Raising Canaan and in Ghost, you know, Power Book Two, the Tariq spinoff. Um, 
both of them feature these very strong-willed, messy, complicated women who are cutthroat, ambitious, and don't apologize for it whatsoever. And it has been just fun. They are just, Monet Zahada and Raquel Thomas are just a whole lot of fun. I don't know who would win in a showdown between the two. Um, <laughs> I would rather them work together, but they're both like serious alpha women. There wouldn't be room. There could only be one queen bee between the two. So, but that would be a pretty interesting showdown to see for sure. So I was going to ask you, Katie, what your experience has been with the Powerverse, but you just answered that. So let's get into the pilot itself. Before we even get into the main action, I got to ask your thoughts on the opening, the the theme song, the Powerverse. For those of you all who are familiar with it, it is known for its theme songs. Even if you didn't watch Power, you heard Big Rich Town. Like if someone says, you know, they say this is a big rich town. Every you've heard it before. <laughs> like you've heard it. <laughs> and Big Rich Town was died by 50 Cent and Joe. All of the power first shows, as well as BMF, which is also produced by 50 Cent, have unique theme songs featuring the Queen's rapper. There was this huge controversy. And Katie, I don't you probably because you couldn't have missed it because it was all over social media, but this would have definitely been after you stopped watching it before the the sixth and final season of the show, some fool decided, oh, we're going to take Big Rich Town and we're going to remix it and we're going to replace Joe with Trey songs and fans were pissed. Like if you ever want a good laugh, like go on Twitter and like just do like a search of like (laughs) Big Rich Town and remix and you will see like the angry tweets. People let 50 Cent have it and they bullied that man. And y'all know 50 Cent is one of the biggest bullies in the game. The fans came together like Voltron and bullied them to go back to the OG song, which was the right choice because it was the far superior version to that stupid remix. And and now on the Tariq spinoff, Power Book 2, they still use the OG Big Rich Town. And I'm glad that they do. And I hope they never change that. Like, one, like as long as there's a Power Verse, there needs to be a Power Verse show that has Big Rich Town as the theme song. But we're talking raising Canaan candy. What did you think about part of the game, which is the um, raising Canaan theme song? It's great. So this this show is set in the late eighties, but I feel like it still has a nineties vibe too. So, and I I love the song, but I also love the opening credits. Like it sets the scene, so it lets you know where you're at. I love it. I thought it was a beautiful opening. I think I've talked before how I miss music in TV shows and movies and mm-hmm. the power verse does a great job of utilizing music throughout its, its series. So it's, yes, it's yes. I have to play a little bit of big rich town. Now. go play that remix it's just it's terrible <laughs> terrible decision i don't know why they did that but i love this song so, anyhow, i'm it off because i don't want 50 cent coming after me for royalties okay so yeah and just to clarify so raisin canon is set in the 90s we start off in 85 but then we jump to 91 and you're going to live in the 90s for the rest of the series um as it as it proceeds um but i loved i loved the I love part of the game. I think it's pitch perfect for the show. I think it's like the perfect beat and song structure, even the way 
50 raps and with, you know, the singer complimenting him, it, it has such a 90s feel to it. So I, like I said, I think he knocks it out of the park with all of them. I mean, my favorite one is probably like the BMF song um, that he has with Charlie Wilson. That one goes hard. Like, it's just so good, but they're all really good. Um, but don't switch it up, 50. You have good opening songs. Don't go remixing them anymore. I think he's learned his lesson and he did take it in, in stride, but it is funny because they quite literally, they went in and they switched that shit up. I can't remember how many episodes into season six it took. I think it was like by episode three or four, they of course corrected and switched out the songs and all was well for those of us in the power verse. Let that be a lesson to anyone it, else. Exactly. <laughs> Getting into the opening nap. So, you know, Raising Canaan is primarily set in the 90s, but we kick off the pilot in 1985 as we see, you know, as Canaan tells us, adult Canaan voiced by 50 Cent, we're seeing his first fight, the wee baby Canaan Stark. And it gives us our first look at him as a young child. Now, this character, this is not a spoiler, but, you know, when we see him in power, he is a formidable gangster, like a menace, like, you know, just someone who is taken very seriously, who people know, like, like he says, that name rings out, like, you know, Kanan is no joke in power. And so, but we get this first fight with the wee baby, the little, little pumpkin Kanan, and we get introduced to the woman who clearly helped shape can shape Cannon into the very menacing man that we see in power, Raquel Thomas. Candy, let's talk about that opening act in 1985 with our sweet baby little chocolate drop, Cannon. I think it was, I, I liked seeing, so for me, like when you have someone who is like all powerful and no cracks or vulnerabilities, I feel like it's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. That that usually gets on my nerves. So I really appreciated seeing him as a kid uh, getting his ass kicked <laughs> because I feel like every at, at one point everyone has, or else it's un you know, or else I can't trust you. It's unrealistic. <laughs> An MMA champ, no one did. So yeah, I I thought it was great. I thought it's nice to see like his humbling beginnings. And it also sets the stage for who Rock is, mm-hmm. where she's like, yeah, no, you're not just going to come running home crying and hiding. We're not doing that. So I thought it was a very powerful scene. And I thought it was very important. And it lets you, this show is about, you know, Kanan is a kid. He's not the kingpin. He's not like a, a gangster lord. His mom is. And it shows yes. you why and how. So, yes, it it, it it sort of invokes the the you know the debate is it nature or is it nurture and and we see with Canaan it was not nature he was not born to your point he did not come out of the womb a terror like you know he was a sweet little boy just like you know most people are before they become seasoned and hardened um you know because of the past that they go down. I just love that little cutie patootie when he was like, you know, he was like, he beat me down. I was like, oh, <laughs> baby. And wait, I love the way the little actor, like just the look of like, just, just overwhelmed, just like I have had it, like the desperation. <laughs> He's just running down the street with his little self. And of course, older Kane in the background talking about, man, this is a bad look. Like, you know, <laughs> it's so funny. 
<laughs> and um, and I like how, like through Rock, we sort of get these these sort of like basic rules of survival. So rule number one is when you are playing at the playground and your family is there with you, if you fighting, everybody's fighting. Hence, why Rock asked Kanan. Where was you watching all this is going down? So you see very early on, like how close those two are, how they, what their dynamic is that she would have absolutely tried to fight. But we see in the fight scene that they're holding her back on purpose because they already know. And then we also get, you know, Rock is asking him, like he's crying. And me, I would be like, oh my God, my poor, you know, I would, that, you know, she's like, uh-uh, what happened? Come on. She's like, you know what? I don't know. You're like, if some ain't right here, some ain't. There's a reason why they came after you. And she's like, I told you not to show your money. And he's like, but I didn't show it. And then he, and she's like, oh, when you were talking about it, he just looks at her like, okay, you got me there, boss. And she, she's like, Kanan, I am trying to explain to you if you cannot go around here running your mouth. But he's a little baby. Of course, kids run their mouths. And, but she's trying to explain to him, you cannot be doing this out here in these streets because people, Will, will come for you and and she's like he gave it up and he he gave it up because those two kids were bigger and 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 you know they had the advantage in the fight so i love the dynamic and i also love the choice and i think this is such a great introduction to what we're going to continue to see in this pilot about about Rock as a matriarch, but specifically her dynamic with Kanan. Like, you know, the boyfriend at the table offers to go talk to Kanan. Like, you want me to go talk to him man to man? Or you want me to have... And she's like, "Uh uh-uh, I got this. And we continue to see that play out in this this pilot where there are scenes where, you know, Kanan has two uncles who could you know, serve potentially as father figures, but it's very clear lines of demarcation and everyone understands that is Rock's child. Rock is the parent. If there's something that needs to be addressed with Kanan, Rock is going to address it. And I think that first scene is sort of, it it perfectly sets the tone for how we'll see their dynamic play out and how Rock you know, leads as a mother and as the head of that household. So I, I just loved everything about it and her just standing in the background smoking her cool cigarette looking on as he beat them boys <laughs> down with them batteries in that sock i was like "Ooh, this this response is is not proportionate to the butt whipping you got but not i get it all. you gotta but i bet you to be the batteries i was like oh yes. lord Yes, and the way she just casually and calmly, you know, she just opens up that sock drawer and she's still talking to him, just not missing a beat and putting the batteries in the sock. But I'm guessing that is probably the last time for a while that someone on that playground tried to weekend and or tried to take his money. So, hey, you know, he said that's the first time his, his name rang out. Candy, let's now jump ahead to 1991 which is where we get sort of in the central action and we get our introduction to Makai Curtis, who makes his network television starring debut as Kanan Stark. What did you think about where we find Kanan in 1991, particularly thinking about it in comparison to our first introduction to him in 1985? So this is where he's in high school. So he's already established, I mean, established in his little teen world. So he's in, this is what we're talking about. He's in high school and this is Mm -hmm. when his mom wants him to go. So his mom, his mom is a kingpin, but she has a plan for her son and she does not want him in her life. Um, Not, not in her life, but she doesn't want him in the game. 
Right. Right. She wants him to go to a fancy school. She wants him to go to college. She wants him to be a CEO or some shit. She does not want him running the streets like uh, like the rest of the family has to. She yeah. she has a plan for Kanan. Yeah. I thought it was super interesting that when we do the six-year jump, we still find Rock being a very pushy mother with very firm ideas and a clear vision about who and what Kanan should be and what he should be doing with his life. But it's not what I expected given what we saw in 1985, you know, we the last we saw them, yeah. she was giving him batteries in a sock to go beat <laughs> a child down on the playground. And so I think that, you know, it wouldn't have been an illogical leap that if once we jump ahead six years that that, you know, Kanan is a bruiser. He's you know, he's a menace. He's a bully. He you know that he would have have, have already started on his criminal journey. But he's not. He is a child. And she is very much treating him like a child. It was, it was, there's some, throughout this pilot, I think the writers constantly subvert expectations. And this is, I think, the very first one for me. And I loved how they subverted expectations. He's like, yes. So we learn like, okay, Rock wants Kanan to be able to stick up for himself. But we very, we very quickly, as you know, discovered that Raquel, she was not going to be like Delonda Bryce or Brianna Barksdale, if you watch The Wire. Like those were two mamas who were like telling their teenage sons, the family business is drugs this is the family business this is what we do this is the throne you're the heir to the throne so you better get out there and hustle that is not Raquel Thomas to your point she is pushing Kanan to take a test so he can go to this new school Stuyvesant that'll help broaden his horizons and give him options outside of drug dealing and I love that I love how we also learn Kanan's smart. We see that. We know that because he's being asked to take this test. And you can see that Rock was a was a very active learner and, and, and someone who was very engaged in education whenever it was that she was in school. We don't know if she was a dropout or what happened in her life. But, you know, I love the conversation that she has with him when they're talking about Cassiopeia, when they're looking at the the constellations and and how she was placed in the sky as a punishment after enraging Poseidon with the boast that her daughter Andromeda was more beautiful or or she may have said that she was I think Rock says she was more beautiful than the sea nymphs Um, but either way she was forced to basically wheel around the north celestial pole on her throne spending half her time clinging to it and so she doesn't fall off I'm like okay maybe it's not the most subtle reference but I love what it tells us about Rock being someone who probably had a lot of potential, just like Kanan, and something happened in life where she, where this is the line of business that she went into. But obviously, it's also a precursor to Rock, uh, who who has you know the audacity to sort of you know wield her and wield her power, be confident in her influence. But that boldness does put her in a position where she is quite often trying to cling to her throne and not fall off. So not surprising that Rock would relate to her, but I've loved all of the layers to that scene about what it tells us about Kanan, you know, what it tells us about Rock, what it tells us about their dynamic and and how she's been raising him over this six-year period since we first saw them in 1985. So to that point, let's get into the character introductions more in depth. Listen, I could do an entire episode on Raquel Thomas alone. Patina Miller 
Broadway winning actress Bettina Miller is just an absolute revelation. And boy, do the writers give her lots of complicated mess to navigate in this show. Candy, I have been, I have quite literally not shut up about this woman, this character, since I first stopped watching this show. You started watching the show. You have now gotten into the world of rock. So I would love to hear your thoughts. I think there are a few different paths here. So let's start with her as a mother, because we've already kind of started down that path, but now let's, you know, unpack more of it, you know, from the perspective of the, the entire pilot and what we see of Raquel Thomas as a mother to Kana. I love, yeah, I love her. So I just, she's the kind of woman I want to see on TV. She's the kind of woman I want the focus on. I feel like usually when women are in, in roles, they're portrayed as weak or flighty and it just, it's annoying because they're portrayed as nothing else. And Rock gets to be strong, but she also is clearly vulnerable in ways. And I think that is reflected in her parenting. She is a strong woman. She's strong in her parenting, but you can also see that clearly Kanan is her world. Mm-hmm. And, if there are compromises to be made, she is definitely not compromising in other areas, but she will do what she can to keep her kids safe. And yeah. I, so I feel like it brings vulnerability, but um, yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate that she is the active parent. It is very clear to everyone else in the family and that she has chosen to be so because she could have, dumped him off on her brothers or taken him to her grandma. Like she always threatens him with, <laughs> but she's yes. not, she, he's raised him. So yes, he chose to raise him. All right. So I'm going to, I just want to pick up on a few things that you said. Um, you talked about how Kanan is her world. I wanted to talk about that specifically. You know, she tells him that my life is your life and that's clear. Like, you know, no matter what stressors she may have given her line of business, you know, it's clear that she she takes the time and prioritizes him. But what I liked about it is that, yes, Kanan is her world, but he is very clearly the child in that household. She does not use Kanan as a proxy for an adult as a proxy for a partner or a spouse. And despite her dangerous line of work, we see a mother who is intent on letting her child be a child as long as he will allow her to to treat him like a child. We see it in how she talks to him. I love the affectionate kisses on his forehead when she, you know, wipes a little lipstick off and he gives her that, come on, mom. It's so sweet. And it's it's in the little details and the little touches. Like when you look at Kanan's room, you see trophies on the wall. That young man has stars on his headboard. You get the sense that Rock works very hard to maintain a dynamic in that house where it is clear that you are a child, you are a 15-year-old, and you have no part in grown folks' business. Yes, you know what I do. You need to know that because, listen, I'm sure that, you know, things could pop off, so there's no, I'm not going to lie to you or, or shield you from that, but And I think she says it to him, like, I have my job and you have your job and your job is being the kid. 
I love that so much because it's 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 got balance to it. And I think that stereotypically in a story like this, you might see a character like Rock, like I said, using her son as a proxy for partner, another adult in the household, you know, putting things on him that shouldn't be put on him as a child. But again, they subverted expectations. That is not the dynamic. He is clearly her world, but it is important to her that he is a child and that he understands that. And she she makes so many efforts throughout this pilot to treat him as such. And I also like, you know, you talked about her being the active parent. And I love the touch of her being at the school and talking to the principal about the test, because you can tell from the rapport that she has with the principal that she's a present parent. She is a parent that's known to people in that school. Oh, yeah, that's Kanan Stark. Yeah, his mom is Raquel. You have an issue with Kanan? Get his mama on the phone. Like it, it That's great parenting. That's what you want. That's how it I don't know when I when I was growing up, that's how it was. And when I was a teacher, you loved those parents because you knew if you if you needed something as, as it pertained to the kid and you weren't getting through to the kid that you could call that parent and that parent was going to show up and be present and listen. And, and as I like to say, I joke with my mom all the time. I think the mark of a good parent is a parent is all up in your shit. Like whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's in your bedroom or spaces that you think are private. Like, yes, you have boundaries, but I'm still going to be all up in your shit because I need to know what's going on because I am the parent and you are the child. And in particular, I mean, Rock could have pawned Kanan off to her to her brothers, but I mean, we see they use this parallel in the diner scene in particular in terms of the parenting styles of Rock versus her older brother Marvin as a comparison. I mean, Marvin would have been in no position to be a father figure to Kanan either because he barely he barely raises or is involved with his own daughter, Jukebox. I mean, you know, we have this scene where we see Rock, who is like, Kanan, you're going to take that test. The school has all this money. It's got this. It's got that. I can't wait. This is amazing. And then Marvin's just like, well, Jukebox, why didn't you take the test? And she's like, uh, they asked you if I could take it. You said it was a waste of time and that white people wouldn't give me the time of day. And he doesn't even remember it and, and shuts it down as a joke. Like, you know what? The public school, that's the school you had. It was good enough for us. It can be good enough for you. And Rock immediately says it wasn't good enough for us. Like, it's just, I I love those parallels that they use in that scene in particular, because Lord Marvin, I mean, do better. Please, please just try to parent this child. Um, So it was just, it was really interesting. And, and I liked how they used that parallel to just further reinforce the kind of parent that Rock is. So let's talk about Candy. Rock is not, obviously, Canaan is her world, but she is not just a mother. She is also a queen pin, the woman <laughs> in these streets, in this drug game. So I want to talk about how, you know, we get introduced to her through that lens, through the business lens, through her profession. Um, what did you think about the writers, Patina Miller's performance, anything, any of the dynamics, you know, just the thoughts on her as a queen pin? I agree with you 100, 200% that um, Patina Miller is a revelation. I think she's believable, you know. Um, I think in a lot of shows, they have an idea of what they want the character to be and they cast incorrectly, but she is believable. 
Mm-hmm. She is very strong. She goes toe to toe with the other dealers. Uh, she obviously has beef with Unique, but they respect each other. They meet, they meet head to head, and they hash it out. And I, I think that's wonderful to see because I feel like oftentimes most of these uh, shows and movies, and probably history, because of our patriarch of the patriarchy women don't get to be in charge and she's clearly in charge and she's doing a good job well she, and she's holding on <laughs> with a death grip trying to hold on as, <laughs> for as long as she can but she is the queen bee in her yeah. household and her family and on the streets so i love it i love it for her i love that she's the one in charge and i think it's very believable and she knocked it out of the park with this role yeah i agree i love that when we're coming into this introduction to her in in the pilot, that she's established. We're not, this is not someone who is, she's obviously ambitious and she's trying to expand her empire, but she already got an empire, baby. Like we're not doing, we're not doing the origin story of rock as a queen pin. Although I would love to see it. And I would absolutely watch a whole other (laughs) spinoff where we get into, to rock's life because I have so many questions and, and listen, We've seen documentaries. There are queen pins out there, but this is not a profession where you find a lot of women in leadership. And so it is interesting because we're coming into this where she's already established. It's like she is respected and recognized as a boss. She has a loyal crew. That's not an easy feat for a woman. I'd love to know how she got there, but I'm kind of glad that we're not wasting time on that because to me... Yes, it's interesting, but you've already given us so many interesting threads to pull here. I don't need that being part of the dynamic as well. Um, and, and, and yes, Unique does try with her a little bit and try to reduce her to like, you know, you know, women being emotional, you know, the bond you and Kanan have will never be like the bond I have with my son because you carried him. You know, he tries that bullshit, but <laughs> even, even when he is being completely misogynistic, you still know that he recognizes her as a formidable foe. He, you know, that that she's got people, that she's got a crew, and and he can try to cut her down. But what did she say? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be on my knees, unique. Like he knows. It's like he he tried it, he tried it, he tried to be cute, but you know he doesn't believe half that bullshit. Like he's just like I'm. Just, he knows that she's calling the shots. You don't see Unique trying to overlook Rock and talk to Lulu or Marvin instead. No, he's talking to Rock again. Established, she's the head. And to your point, Candy, it is so believable. You know, it it it. They really sell it in the writing and these character interactions. And to your point, you know, you said she's the head of her business. She's the head of the family. I thought it was really interesting to see that Rock is the middle child of the Thomas family, but the one running the family business. You know, we get this implication. I think it's something she says to Marvin that maybe he tried to lead at some point and it wasn't for him, but she is firmly the head of that family and Lulu and Marvin are all in on it. Like, you know, you don't get the sense that they're like, they might question some of her decisions, but you don't get the you don't ever get this vibe from Lulu or Marvin and this pilot like I should be doing this. I should be the lead. No, they recognize it. And I think it's an interesting way to see a family 
being led by a woman because again, subverting expectations and a lot of writing and a lot of shows when women are the leaders of a family or family business, they're you there. It's usually still tethered to sort of these very traditional and stereotypical notions of like womanhood or being femme. Like, you know, she's the head of the family because she cooks Sunday dinners and brings everyone together. She's a unified, you know, things like that. That's not what Rock's doing here. <laughs> like she's leading and she's, she's a recognized lead and they're establishing her and a lead in ways that subvert expectations about how we see women who are matriarchs and recognized as the leads of their family. So I just, I loved all of that. Like I said, I could just do a whole episode on Raquel Thomas alone, especially after you, like, especially that, ooh, that the season one finale, baby. I, I, God, I love this character. Any other reflections on the queen? Um, I love too that um, in the pilot, she goes on a date. I, so I just, I love that she's many faceted. Like she's, you can't yes. paint her into one single box. So I, I love it. I love that she's, um, she tries to have a personal life. I mean, she ended up having to leave the date because her son done killed somebody. But, um, <laughs> at, she tried, she tried to get out there. So <laughs> I like yes. that she, I feel like uh, the trope of a woman can do it all. I feel like she's one of the few women that's doing, she's doing it all. So mm-hmm. it shows mm-hmm. how she's how she's doing it. So I love it for her. Yes. I love it. And I think her going on the date is another important element to to sort of reinforcing that this is not a woman who, yes, Kanan is her world. And yes, the date does get interrupted because Kanan and his fucking shenanigans. But she is committed to trying to have a life of her own. You know, that she, to your point, she is trying to be multifaceted, that she's not just saying, you know, because I'm a single mother, I have to give up living and I'll live again once Kanan is 18 out of the house. Like, nah, mama is out here living. And, but she's, but she's also not doing it in a way that's negligent, right? It's, it's also like, this is not a mama who's like, well, you know, you 15 now, you can watch yourself. I'm gonna go out and be outside. No, no, it's all very, it's all very like healthy and reasonable and it all makes sense. I mean, okay. So maybe her chosen <laughs> profession isn't the, the, you know, isn't, Maybe there are some critiques about whether or not that is a healthy choice. But again, what did I say? I support women's rights and women's wrongs. So I am not going to criticize Raquel's chosen profession. <laughs> I'm going to roll with it for now. I like that she's trying to do it all. I'm a queen pin. I'm a mother. I'm a lover. I'm all these things. I am woman. Hear me roar. Like, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Of course, we have to talk about the namesake of the show, Candy, Kanan Stark. What were your thoughts on Kanan and Makai Curtis's portrayal of him in this pilot? I think he was a refreshing revelation as well. So the thing about with power, like, things can get on my nerves. He is very vital to that universe and franchise, and I, I'm not going to um, deny that. But 50 Cent, as a person, he pissed me off. So mm-hmm. I really like raising Kane and getting to see the child version of himself because uh, I think he's more likable as a kid. <laughs> but no, the actor that plays him, though, I love it. He because 
this is the villain origin story of yeah. who is in the power verse. So I like that this is a kid that is vulnerable. He, um, his hands shake the first time he holds a gun. I think it's, it makes it believable. And the kid that plays him does a great job. Listen, I just like I could do a whole episode about Patina Miller as Raquel Thomas. I could do a whole episode on <laughs> Makai Curtis as, as Kane and Stark. I cannot imagine how intimidating it had to have been for Makai to step into this role. This is a show in a well-established universe played by one of the most recognizable figures in hip hop and now television. And I think Makai Curtis is perfectly cast i also think he just happens to be just the most adorable little chocolate drop and i just adore him <laughs> in this role like he just has those his just little cheeks you just want to pinch him and i think to your point it's it's he brings a vulnerability and a sweetness to 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 canaan that listen y'all this is not a spoiler you're not gonna see none of these sides of canaan if you watch him in power um but on a and on a superficial level right it's amazing that they managed to find an actor who looks like a younger 50 cent like it's like what a fucking find but it's but that in and of itself was quite a feat but it's like not only does he look believably like a younger 50 cent he's also just quite excellent in the role like he can also act which is like could you imagine you're getting the best of both worlds here i think that to your point makai is so good at pulling off sort of this very tenuous intersection at which kanan finds himself he still feels like a child like you know the way that he sort of scrunches up his little face when his mama gives him the little forehead kisses and wipes her lipstick off a child again i said this is a young man who still has star stickers on his headboard he's still a child the scene with him and davina my goodness the blushing his his just that little girl had his nose wide open he couldn't even find his words and makai just he plays it perfectly so you have this this part of canaan that feels at every level like a 15 year old and you have that the tension that comes out of him knowing what the family business is and like a child because it's a childlike curiosity and wanting to know more about the family business and wanting to like get all up and grown people's business and and this desire to like help out and and i think makai just so convincingly sells that curiosity as you know is is sort of that tension like I like being a kid. I'm doing this kid thing. I hang out with my friends. My friends freestyle at the lunch table while banging out beats. But I've also given thought, like, I'm not completely immune, you know, despite my mom's best efforts to treat me like a child. I'm not immune to the world that she's navigating. It's just, I, I think he pulls it off so well. And, and, and he also pulls off that piece of him that you know has hesitation about whether or not this life is for him, which is which anyone at 15 years old should have that hesitation. But you can see how he's also doing that thing that teenagers do where it's like, well, I want to step up and I want to do these very adult things. But you know that inner dialogue is like, but am I ready to do these adult things? And I think part of it, it's the hand gesture, you know, the sort of how the hands reflect the the nerves. And I like that that's one of the things that we see way back in 1985. You know, he does the little hand thing before he beats that boy down with the socks and the battery. So I like sort of that through line that they established. Um, 
I want to talk about two standout scenes from my point of view um, from Makai and this pilot. But before I go on and on, because I've just been talking about my little favorite chocolate drop for, for a long time now, Candy, do you, anything, any thoughts, reactions, any more you want to add? I just, his, his acting and the way they wrote him, I was on Kanan's side and that's not something I said much during power. So (laughs) (laughs) he just did a great job. Like, I feel like he's very relatable and likable and Mm -hmm. I was, I was team Kanan on this, in this pilot. So. Yeah. So I want to talk about the standout scenes. I'll give one. And then if you have anything you want to add about the scene and then, so that's what we'll do. So two standout scenes. I mean, I think I thought Makai had a few standouts from this pilot, but I want to sort of lift him up because I, I love, he's just, he's just so talented. And like all of these young actors from these Powerverse shows, they're all very kind of like flashy and boastful and and not just power of verse the bmf guys get into it too you know they tease each other on social media makai gives little punkin vibes like you know he gets in on the shenanigans when they're like ribbing each other but usually that baby is out somewhere like playing drums like he's so he's multi-talented um playing an instrument like he just seems so wholesome (laughs) so um i highly recommend you know follow him on ig he's he's an enjoyable uh you know, person to, to, to follow on IG as well. But, um, but I, I do think sometimes because, you know, like I said, power book Two, the ghost spinoff, you've got characters there who came from the original season, th- the original series. So that show gets, gets a lot of, of the like, you know, spotlight and spotlight and shine. And I think the Tommy um, series does as well, obviously, because it's Tommy and Tommy was a beloved character from power. But, and so I think that, Raising Canaan to me feels like this, like this, this, this gem, like this really like beautiful gem of a show and a series. And these performances are amazing. And, and it's like, I just want to kind of lift up and boost and be like, listen, don't sleep on it. So standout scenes. The first one for me is when, um, Rock and Kanan are talking after one of Unique's boys, you know, when they were coming out of the diner after having had dinner and, you know, the car comes by and like sh- fires the warning shots in the air to send a message to Rock because Unique wanted to have the the parlay with her. Um, once they're home, you know, and he's talking to Rock about, OK, well, what happens next? And, you know, that was a warning. What are we going to do? And she's shutting him down because he's like, I should be allowed to step up. He's like, Mom, I know what y'all are talking about. And he does that little thing that kids do where it's like, OK, you've been in grown folks business. So he's talking about, you know, I know what the supreme mathematics are. And he's trying to, you know, give her the examples. Like if I can speak the language, I understand it. I should be able to step up. And she's shutting him down and reminding him. I told you, your job is to be the kid. I'm the mom. I'm the lead here. I will deal with it. But then he has a super vulnerable moment where he tears up. And you realize that this isn't just like a young man who feels like this is the family business and I have an obligation to carry on the family business. This is a young man who is worried about his mother's safety because he understands the volatility of the world that she navigates. And when that tear comes out and he says, I'm so I'm worried, you know, what if something happens to you? What if you die? What if somebody kills you? Oh, that scene melted my heart 
And I thought Makai and Patina were just pitch perfect in it. Like it's such a good scene. Did that give you the feels, Candy? Absolutely. And this is a um this is a clash they have more than once in this pilot. And I feel like you fully know where he's coming from. And also I think you see like I Patina Miller is such a good actress. She's emoting through the eyes. You can tell that it's um that she's hurting too, but she is firm in her resolve that you are not gonna be involved. No. Yeah. And it's not yeah. until later in the pilot when Kanan has taken things into his own hands, into his own hands, where she's like, now see, I you know, I was trying to protect you, but you have brought yourself into this. So now here now here we are. And once again, she gotta um just like the socks and the battery, she got she's teaching him how to correctly hold a gun because now you've put yourself into this. So Yeah. And and talk about emoting and facial expressions. How great is that scene when they're out in that open space shooting the gun and he's shooting it and they're both shooting and she looks over at him because you can see the what he does with his face is so great in that scene. Because at first, you know, he's just like, oh, what are we doing? Okay, I'm going to shoot the gun. But the more he does it and the more he gets the cadence. And I also think... I think he has the feels because he's doing this with his mother. There's a look that washes over his face where you can kind of see that that fire, like those beginning, but whatever it is that, that clicks on in his head that makes him who we see in power, you can see it there because there's a moment where you can see him like, I like this shit. <laughs> and in and, contrast, and- right next to him, you have Raquel's eyes saying, yes. I never want to do this i never wanted this for you i never wanted you to do this exactly you can literally see the concern washing over her face like damn it like you know this is you know he's he's he likes it this is going to be hard so the second second standout scene to me for makai is um it's the, it's the scene where he and D. Wiz kill Buck 20. And it's a weird thing to say, right? Because it's terrible. They kill this young man. And you know what, Kanan? I'm questioning you because I'm like, did you kill him because of you, him being on Unique's team? Or did you kill him because you wanted Davina? I, I have some questions about that. But, <laughs> Which is a horrible but way was, to get a girl's attention. But anyway. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> not, not, not a not good way nice. to do so. Um. But, and I know it's a weird thing to say, but it was a really good murder scene. And let me explain why I'm saying that. Because I thought that both Kanan and the actor who played Buck 20, they were so good because it's not, you know how like in a lot of shows or movies, if someone gets shot, you know, it's like bang, bang, they they are dead immediately. And, or sometimes when the person doesn't die immediately, it can feel like super exaggerated or over the top. And it's like, okay, you're doing a little bit too much. But the actor that played Buck 20, I thought did a good job at sort of like, you know, sort of contending in this moment with the fact that his life is slipping away. And, and sort of that desperation when he reaches out and grabs Kanan's sweatshirt and grabs him, it's, I thought, you know, props to that actor. I thought that was well-staged and well-done. But I want to talk about Makai specifically in that scene because, you know, as Buck 20 reaches out, there is like an entire roller coaster 
of emotions that Makai plays out just with his facial expressions. Because it's like, you can see the regret. You can see the shock, like, shit, what did we do? You see, you could even see him questioning you know, the consequences, what happens next? Like, cause I think for some reason I, they were just shooting, like there were three guys there. I don't think that they were specifically targeting buck 20, but it ended up, you know, unfortunately buck 20 ended up being on the receiving end. I'm pretty sure it was D Wiz that it was his gun and his shot that killed him, you know, that put him down and, and sort of Kanan, you know, because this isn't some like anonymous, faceless, nameless person, but it's someone he knows, someone he had quite literally just been thinking about because he wanted his, you know, like, like all of this, the, fami- the familiarity, but the discomfort with that level of familiarity, like, oh my God, I've taken this person's life. You see the worry about it. Like you just see all of this pan out over his face in like 30 to 45 seconds. And I'm like, it's brilliant. He's so good. He's just so good in that scene. Mm-hmm. Agree, agree. Yep. I think that Makai, I'm just, I'm really excited about his future. I think he just has so much potential as an actor. And I, I'm just, I'm excited for this series, but I'm excited for whatever projects he works on. Candy, were there any other memorable character introductions from the pilot that you wanted to highlight? Um. So Juke, jukebox his cousin i mm-hmm. loved her and i love to get a little i loved getting to know more about her so mm-hmm. she um that she's an excellent singer and seeing her interests outside of just being in the thomas family and just always running around with um canaan yeah so i liked getting to see a little bit of her backstory and um her uh lesbian origin story if you will <laughs> yes, yes. i appreciated seeing it like seeing um that for all of them like they're they're all complex individuals they're not just gangbangers or they're not just own their sole purpose in life isn't just to run game for the family so yeah shout out to Haley kilgore again much like makai curtis she had some pretty big shoes to fill because anika noni rose is no one is is an amazing actress and did a great job at portraying jukebox in the original power series and that would be super intimidating to me to be stepping into shoes filled by you know such a, a really talented actress who did a great job of portraying jukebox the older version of her um and it's also interesting to see we are seeing her at a time when there's still a light in her eyes because the one thing without getting into spoilers about what happens with jukebox i'll just say this when we meet jukebox in power that light is gone extinguished it's done and it's interesting because she and kanan are both i don't think this is a spoiler to say you know they're both down with the shits they are both about that life and they will both you know they're both homicidal murderous and all that good stuff like like kanan tells us in this pilot don't let that sweet voice fool you she's one of the hardest niggas i've ever known and he ain't overstating it but (laughs) even in even in power though there was still levity and lightness to, to Kanan. It was still there in him. Like, you, there would be moments where you could have a scene with him, despite him being, you know, this big menace where you could laugh, right? But with Jukebox, it was never like that. Like, that, like I said, <laughs> that light... That light had been extinguished. It was dead and gone. You almost... The way Jukebox comes off in power, you even wonder if there ever was a light. 
And so it is fascinating to be able to meet her at this age when there clearly was a light. And obviously it's a great thing to do in the pilot because it just raises so many questions. Like what in the world, what is the journey going to be like for this young lady that's going to extinguish that light in such, such, you know, astonishing fashion you know how does she become the dead-eyed killer that she was when we see her in in power as an adult um i love i love lulu and marvin i just want to talk about them very quickly um i love i love the bit about marvin always eating because that motherfucker was eating it was always (laughs) an empty bag of chips in his hand in every scene and i'm gonna tell y'all right now that that continues they do not drop that after the pilot marvin does like his snacky snacks but i was i it's again to me it's it's about sort of the, the family dynamic and what i like about lulu and marvin um because the writers tell us in the pilot, and I think they do a great job at sort of setting this up very efficiently, how, yes, Rock is the brains. She's the leader of the family. They follow her lead. But through our introductions to Lulu and Marvin, it's clear that this family crime syndicate works because of how Lulu, Marvin, and Rock all come together and how they work together. And, and I thought that that was very well set up in the pilot and I like the introductions. I, I like Malcolm Mays and I like London Brown. They're just, I, I think they're so, they're both so great in this role, uh, in their respective roles. And um, yeah, I think that's it. I, the other person on my list was uh, Haley Kilgore's uh, portrayal of Jukebox. I think she's really great. Um, love the scenes with her and Nicole, particularly how she played sort of that uneasiness as Nicole is complimenting her and trying to kiss her and tell her that she's beautiful. And it's, it's also kind of heartbreaking because you get the sense that no one has expressed those feelings to jukebox before. I mean, she has a dad who told her white people would never take her seriously. Any well, thoughts, Candy? It's on not if we see her origin. Yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts? I mean, we've been talking a lot about the, the Thomas family dynamics, but is there anything else about the Thomas family dynamics that you want to touch on before we move uh, out of the character introductions? I forgot to mention earlier, but um, this is in regards to Rock being the queen pen, mm-hmm. how she put a hit on uh, Becky's dog. And I thought that was <laughs> that, very important. <laughs> and, baby! Uh, a very important scene where that uh there's a karen that was disrespecting her mm-hmm. and i bet you she don't know more so uh, I that, that's another way that it made it um i feel like you're like yep rock is that don't mess with her she is the queen be for real and rock told her she said girl i am not the one and then you saw Lulu. And Lulu tried to Lulu tried to smooth it over, but I already knew. I was like, "Oh, girl, um, you gonna learn today." And and the, the way that it was written, right? Because it's it's such a it's so realistic. Like, so you have this Karen, and she feels like she can interact with black people a certain way because she has sex with black men and she thinks that that gives her a comfort level and that that makes her a toughie and a baddie and so she she feels like well i'm comfortable around black people so i'm not going to be intimidated by you black woman i don't care what you do and i'm like well 
so bad, so sad for your dog because he is going <laughs> to face the consequences of your um, audacity, your unearned audacity, actually. Um, you know, having sex with people of different races doesn't mean that you that you just automatically, you don't You're get part of that a certain world comfort. Or- yeah, yeah, that's not how that works. That's not how any of that works. Um, nope. <laughs> I like that we see joy. The diner scene in particular was really nice. And I say this, and this is not a spoiler, but I said there are going to be times when I'm going to, I am going to make comparisons to power. When we start power and we get introduced to the, the St. Patrick family, all the family scenes are tense because, you know, Ghost wants out of the game. Tasha doesn't share that dream. So even when they come together for family occasions, they always feel tense. They always feel transactional. It's like, this is my role. This is your role. We show up, we play our roles, but there's, there is, it is joyless to say the very least. By comparison, despite the fact that like rock has the weight of the world on her shoulders, there is still light and there is still joy and there is still love. And we really get that in the diner scene. And I enjoyed it. I, I just, I loved everything. It was just so fun and just so, so nice to see them come together. And, and I guess some of it does feel a little bit ominous, right? Because the family diner dinner then ends with someone firing a warning shot. So it's like, okay, maybe that's the last time we get a, a joyful family scene, but at least we got one because that is not, like I said, that yeah. is not something that I was used to experiencing when I watched Power. So I, I love that touch. Um, and it, and I then, do think it's uh-huh. uh, realistic too, because it's like, even so with the brothers, Rock is in charge and they get on her nerves and she get on their nerves sometimes. But at the end of the day, when it's time for business, they have each other's back, period. All of them across the board. Yeah. So. Yeah. For better or for worse, they ride. And, and it's, and you'll see that play out in in the rest of the season for sure. Um, I also, and I touched on this earlier and and I think you had talked about it as well in terms of family dynamics. I like that Lulu and Marvin respect Rock's role as Kanan's mother. Like I said, you can see that that family is close, but you never get the sense that like Uncle Marvin or Uncle Lulu like tried to step in and play the role of the father figure to Kanan. Like I, I, I hope it makes sense because I, I kept trying to articulate it and I really could not find the words. But Marvin and Lulu actually feel like uncles, if that makes sense. No, like yeah. They tr- you know what I mean? They don't feel like two men who are like intervening because they're like, you know, your dad's not around. It's just your mom. So, you know, I'm going to do, no, no, you, you, you distinctly get the sense that they know that Rock is the parent. And even after, you know, the scene with, it's after Buck 20, it's when, it's when Unique's people retaliate um, on Rock and Kanan, when Kanan is taking the trash out and, and then, you know, someone, sh- you know, shoots at them and the police come and then Marvin and Lulu show up. And even in that moment, one of them, I can't remember. I think it's, it's both of them, but I think it's Lulu who kicks it off and says, listen, I know you're his mother, but the streets, you know, his, his name is all up in this. He's in it now. There's really no way around this. Like, you know, this isn't, you know, we have to deal with this. You can't keep just sort of, 
he he's not he's he's in it is basically what lulu says and then marvin says something to the effect of and you know what mama can't save him or shield it from him either but i like that even then they know that it is for them to have that conversation with Raquel, it is not for them to try to intervene in the dynamic between Raquel and Kanan. Again, all of that feels like an uncle to me. And I love it. I just kind of love that they felt like uncles. I, like I said, I, I can't really articulate it, but I loved how they truly felt like uncles in this dynamic because I think lazier shows, uh, shows that aren't given so much consideration and care one of them would have been like a like a, a pseudo daddy to him, and I, I and I, I there's nothing wrong with that. And there's shows where you know that happens, and I'm and I guess it's a fine choice for them. But I like it here, given everything that we've learned about Raquel, this feels like the right choice. And, agree, agree. And then I guess my final thought on the Thomas family dynamics is that. You know, we've talked about uh, Jukebox, you know, clearly attracted to girls and and she's got a lot of secrets. And Lord knows Marvin doesn't strike me as a type of dad who takes an interest in his child. And we don't even know <laughs> what Marvin's like view would be if he knew Jukebox was into girls. But I also know that for a young person who is experiencing these feelings and going through this they need someone who knows their secrets. And I'm glad. I love the dynamic with her. I'm so glad that Kanan is there and knows her secrets and does not judge her and accepts her and loves her. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm so glad that she has a confidence in him. I love their, their closeness. Candy, what did you think about the choice to use older Kanan, which basically 50 Cent's narration throughout the pilot? I thought it was great. So like I said, I feel like... Um... Raising Kane, the spinoff, it's much more focused. It's more succinct than Power mm-hmm. was. <laughs> and I think that having uh, clear parameters, like a, narr- a narrator helps that out. So like, even though, even if you never saw Power, that's fine. But this is being told from the viewpoint of Kanan, him looking back into his childhood, into his past and narrating what happens. I think it gives structure and I think it's great. So I really liked it. I like this approach. I completely agree. And I thought it was well balanced because they don't use it like from second one to the last second of the pilot. There is a point where older Kanan steps back and allows current day Kane and, and the new characters that were introduced to, they then step in and start telling us the story by watching their lives play out. And then I think he resurfaces at the end. I thought it, it was a really perfect way of like, cause we hear a lot of him in the beginning. Then he kind of steps back like, okay, you, you hear me, you recognize me. If you watched power, I'm your familiar voice you know, starting this journey with you. But now I'm going to take a step back because it's time for you to get to be in my shoes as 15-year-old Kane and Stark. And then he comes back in at the end. I, I thought that was, it was just the restraint. You know, it's just, there are there are choices that reflect restraint that we see in the writing on this series that I don't think we always saw in power. Candy, there's absolutely no way that we could talk about Raising Kanan without giving a huge salute to the show's wardrobe department. They do a spectacular job with the fashions. And so I wanted to be sure that we took some time and lifted them up. Y'all should follow them. They are, they are great on IG and like, they will like take 
they'll take requests from fans like, hey, they'll be like, well, whose outfit do you want us to like talk about or highlight today? Like they've taken several of mine, so I'm biased. But you'll tell them like, oh, I want Ross <laughs> outfit from episode, you know, season two, episode five, you know, the sweater out in the woods and boom, they'll give it to you. Like they are just so meticulous and they do excellent, I think award-winning level of work that should be recognized on this show. But Candy, what were some of the standout fashions in this pilot for you? So just how like the mood, the music sets the mood, the clothing sets the mood, like it puts you firmly in the nineties. I did not grow up in New York, but the clothing is very familiar and very comforting and nostalgic to me because it's like, is what kids in the nineties wore. It's the hairstyles that were done. The door knocker earrings, like even though I wasn't from New York, I um, grew up in Florida and I also, I also was a military brother grew up in Japan and even in Japan we had door knocker earrings. So I mm-hmm. mean, these are staple parts of the nineties. So it, it keeps you firmly in the setting. Um, it tells you where you are. And I guess for kids that uh, didn't grow up in the nineties, it shows like, this is the scenery. This is what was what it's, it's very accurate. So uh, for me, it's comforting. I liked it. I completely agree. So I think anybody that knows how I dress, particularly given the sheer volume of cat suits in my closet, it should come in over the knee boots and like like knee high boots. It shouldn't come as a surprise that I want every single article of clothing in Rock's wardrobe. I want all of it. She does not miss. She does not miss. (laughs) <laughs> Wear all of it in 2023, 2033, 2043. It doesn't matter the year because <laughs> the, the it's just she does. She just serves. Um, And I'm so glad that you brought up the hair because I do think it's the combination. It's the clothing is perfect. It fits the time. It creates this perfect time capsule, an accurate time capsule. But it's also the hair and even the makeup choices, even rocks, even the color palettes that rock is wearing. I'm like, this is very, very 90s. Like it's just, it's, (laughs) it's, it's so well done. And 90s for someone who is who is her age like it, it the way that they intersect it, it's like they're not just doing fashion for the sake of fashion so i would be shocked if we ever saw raquel in anything tommy hill figure because that's not her style and that's not the way a woman of her stature would be dressing but tommy hill figure was fucking everywhere at the time so yes it makes sense that we see it on Kanan, or we see, um, you know, yeah, I see jukebox and like a nautica jacket, like all of that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, I agree. Like it's, oh, and I would also take every single one of Unique's coats too. Like a lot of times I get real caught up in Rock's wardrobe and I'm like, wait, 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 <laughs> let me give a little bit. Cause, and it's the wardrobe department that maybe appreciate Unique's clothing too, because they really knock his shit out of the park um, all the time. They do amazing work on on his wardrobe as well. Um, listen, I am, I had to look up how, like what year Kanan Stark was born in, because I'm like, I live this. So Kanan would be three years older than I am. And I was like, okay. So, cause I'm like, you know what? I definitely had the Tommy Hill figure. I had the Nautica jacket, we, you know? So it's like, I know the brands, I know the looks. And to your point, 
it's because I think New York influenced the world, particularly as hip hop became so big and so huge. And we had accessibility to seeing these fashions play out in videos, whether it was jukebox or MTV or your MTV raps or whatever that we, you know, or rap city, you know, so yeah, yeah. They look like folks in the nineties in New York, but we look like that everywhere, regardless of where you were. That's how we you wanted know, geographically. to look. Geographically. You know, they look, that's what we wanted. Exactly. That's what we wanted that, you, yeah, that was cool. the aesthetic. <laughs> that That's was the aesthetic. Good. So we ta- I had a separate question about how this pilot does such an amazing job at subverting expectations. And I think we've highlighted some of the biggest, you know, subversion of expectations that have happened. But if, is there anything else, Candy, that played out in this pilot where you thought it was going one way and they took you in another direction, compl- you know, in complete subversion of any of your expectations? I... I mean, I knew that Kanan, obviously Kanan's a drug lord and a uh, a kingpin, mm-hmm. but because because Rock is so convincing and because uh, Kanan is so vulnerable, I think there was a brief minute where I didn't I didn't think he would be killing anybody or him take I don't even when it happened with Buck Twenty, and I I do agree with you. I think it was I don't think it was his gun per se that actually killed him because he was firing so he was just so wild <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing he didn't yeah, know how to aim yeah but i i feel i don't know i did kind of i didn't think that he would be pulling the trigger i i thought that maybe like famous would step up and be like man i'll handle this or something i didn't think he had it in him so oh. i was kind of surprised that it was him that uh was pulling trigger and saying, we got to like, this is disrespect to my mom. We got to do this. I thought someone was going to push him to the side and be like, oh, I'll handle it. And he, he actually did it. So I was like, okay, well, okay. I'm see origin yeah. story in the pilot. I didn't necessarily think we were going to get origin story in the pilot, but we yeah. did. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, and I completely agree, but it's a, it's a point you made. And that's why it was him is when he said, this is about my mother. And I love how they write it. it because it goes back to that scene with him and Rock where he sheds a tear because he is worried about her. And you can tell, I mean, even when he blows the test and doesn't, you know, just puts in all these or whatever it is. And he's like, I'm going to be there for my mother. It always comes down to her. And it's so interesting because he's always trying to give so much to her and she is never asking it from him. Never. And I even think that's a subversion of expectations because like I said, a lot of times in a story like this, where you have a single mother, you know, who, who is, you know, taking on the weight of the world, you will have writing for those characters where they are putting it on their kid. Like, it's like, you know, this kid is giving this because the parent is asking for it or making them do it. But here she didn't ask for any of that shit from him. <laughs> None of it. And that nigga stepped up and said, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, what do you say? You need someone calling out your name and hanging your flag and waving it. Like he was, and it's like, where did this come from young man? Because it did, it did not come from her. Um, right. So I, I think that was a really fun subversion of expectations. Now, Candy, you know, damn well, famous was not going to be doing that little punk ass boy. No, I'm just, he I mean, somebody, mm, I, thought, mm, I thought somebody was going to take it from him. It won't be, like, be famous. Nah, famous man. is a, 
is a useless person. Like, child, go away. Like, you, you, like, you need to go find your artsy fartsy wannabe rapper tribe and hang with them people and get away from. I know, you know, you are close to Canaan and Jukebox, but boy, you are a fool and you are not about this life. And and frankly, it's given liability. You're giving someone that's going to get in the way or fuck something up for us because one, you got a big fucking mouth. You can't shut up. And I, I, I have, I have strong feelings about famous. Um, all right, so we have talked a lot about what we liked in this pilot. Um, I, you know, usually I say, give me three things. I think I'm going to reframe the question a little bit and just ask you, Candy, is there anything else from the pilot that you like that we have not talked about? I mean, I think I have made it clear that I am team Kanan and team rock in this. And <laughs> I think we covered the most of it. I want to say too, like with her clothing, like Raquel is a um, a queen pen, and she dresses like royalty. Like she serves yes. every scene. Like even when she's like, even when she's in the house with her hair wrapped, she in like a velour tracks. Like she still looked like a queen. <laughs> like there isn't yes. a moment she don't look bummy not once. Yes, so you are not gonna catch her lacking. You're not gonna catch her slipping. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's either way. They're in the house, and then when they do the drive-by, it's like, this is after hours. She don't mm-hmm. need to be out anywhere. She still looks good as she's running to the door to fire shots at <laughs> the car yes. driving away. She still looks like a movie, so. Like, even when she puts on jeans, like, if I put on a pair of jeans, I'm like, whew, this is a great opportunity for me to put on some Tims or some sneakers. Miss Mama's going to have on some thigh-high boots, an ornate belt, and a, and a skin-tight black tank top. Like, it's just, it's a, it's going to be a serve. It is just always a serve. Does she not. should really, does <laughs> not. It, she never misses. They they style her so exquisitely on this show. I love it. I live for it. Um, I guess from my perspective, I wanted to talk about uh, just a few things quickly. I thought, Going back to the theme of restraint, I thought that the folks behind this pilot did a good job balancing between the 90 songs and the original score. I like that they exercised restraint in the song placement. There's some shows that would completely use the music to, to create a vibe, like to drive the fact that it's 1991. Let me just get a big list of all of the hip hop songs from 91. And we're just everything we can get the rights to play. We're just going to drop it, drop it. We're just going to have all the big music drops to just give people the feels. They didn't do that. You have a few big ones in the opening, but then again, it's kind of like the 50 cent narration. There's a point where it, it, they scale it back and you get like original score, like, you know, the the TV show music that they use for drama and suspense. But you're not getting all of these big needle drop moments with songs from the 90s. And I thought that was well done because you don't need music to create a vibe when you are being so meticulous with the wardrobe, the hairstyling, the makeup, all of the details are there. If I put that show on and I put it on mute and I didn't know anything about the show. Like no, no description, nothing at all. I could look at it without hearing a sound or knowing anything about it and know that it's in the 90s. And so I like that they let that work speak for itself. They do this really great job at like creating this time capsule. And even with, so it's the styling, you get the, the light touch of the music, but even it's like, it's a time capsule. But to your point, Candy, about how it also feels very New York, 
I actually thought the choice, and, and now I'm going to get into his ass, having a, a Puerto Rican character who sprinkles the word nigga around like IG chef sprinkle parsley on pasta with Alfredo sauce. <laughs> it's such a New York thing. I'll mm. never forget when I moved to New York and how shocked I was by how often white Latinos use that word. And I heard it among a few Latino rappers. And I guess that should have probably been the sign to me that that folks were okay up there with that but it did not prepare me for how common it is there and how like no one bats an eye because that is not how we rolled when I grew up in Virginia you know it's like it's black people and that's it and so I think it is very fitting for a show (laughs) set in this time period in South Jamaica Queens that some punk ass kid (laughs) who is Puerto Rican just saying nigga more than any of the fucking black characters on this show it is just like Yes, more than it. Particularly, I think the first scene where we meet famous, that nigga drops nigga about twenty times. I'm like, damn, nigga. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, who you think you are, Fat Joe? Come on. Like, who also <laughs> uses that word? And I'm like, I don't know, sir. If you're supposed to be using that word. And another <laughs> detail that they weave in that makes this such a, a perfect time capsule is that. Every now and then you get these references to HIV and AIDS. They're crude. They're unkind. They are not progressive. You know, it's usually used in a way to insult someone or to talk about someone not making wise sexual choices. You know, I know that I think Jukebox makes a age joke at, at Famous's expense at one point and it comes up one more time in the series. And in like 1991, this feels right. 91 just happens to be the year that my that magic johnson disclosed his status and i don't know if this is that i think that was november of 91 it is cold outside so that means it could be end of year 91 or it could be top of the year 91 we don't know but even that sort of feeds to this show being such a great time capsule even how they sort of weave in these casual references into the conversation I thought was just really well done and just one last thing I thought the pacing from which you know you you talked about how you didn't expect that origin story in the pilot I thought they did a good job we obviously start with Rock being just adamant that Kanan can't be in this life. And then by the end, she kind of begrudgingly accepts it. Now you have to keep watching to see sort of what her, what her acceptance looks like. But I won't spoil you, but I'll just say she does begrudgingly wrap her mind around it and realize that because of Kanan's actions, he's kind of left her with no choice. I mean, I guess she could ship him off to his grandmother as she threatened, but short of that, you know, it's like he's in it now. So she's got to prepare him for that. But the timing of it made sense to me. It did not feel like I was getting whiplash. It didn't feel like unearned or, oh my God, like it it didn't feel like an unearned change of heart. That's what I'll say. No, everything in this felt very natural. It felt very believable from all the Mm -hmm. characters. Candy, was there anything in the pilot that you didn't like that didn't work for you? Other than famous dropping more niggas than any of the niggas in his first scene. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not sorry. I, I think this is a great pilot. I think it sets everything up perfectly and you understand why. I mean, you don't have to watch Power to watch this show. I think this is a great like coming of age yes. portrait. So I, I'm i sorry, not sorry. I like this pilot. I don't, I don't see flaws in it. 
Listen, I agree. Sorry, not sorry. I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I didn't like it. I was like, I'm not going to make it up just for the sake of saying saying something. Um, so, Candy, I think I know your answer to this, but I'm going to ask it nonetheless so that we have you officially on the record. But are you enticed to keep watching? Absolutely. So I'm I'm writing. This show is going on live. So it will be my goal to be caught up by the time the third season drops. So I'm invested. Ooh. Okay, you have to keep me uh, updated on your progress, especially when you get to the season one finale. It's not going to be like that Spartacus season one finale, but it's a good finale. Like, it, is, it, is, it is a good finale. I like, you think I'll ever see a show so satisfying <laughs> that Spartacus season one finale. I was like, why have I never watched this show? How can I have never heard of this show? It was incredible. <laughs> yes, yes. And we will be getting back to Spartacus and Rome. Those episodes are actually doing quite well. So there's some of you all out there that want some more of that in your life. So we will be yes, giving. I just need to get the Empire as much as Jocelyn does. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to my world. My world is Roman Empire, messy, messy women. And as I said on Twitter the other day, I also think a lot about the presence of water signs in um, the original nine members of Wu-Tang Clan because there are five of them. One Pisces, two Cancers, and two Scorpio. So I think about that a lot and what that means yeah oh and for you water signs out there method man is your pisces rizza and deck are your cancers odb and you got other scorpios okay and that's the end of the useless information segment that no one asked but i think about it a lot i, I do i do i think about that a lot because i'm just fascinated by it, it just don't get me started okay okay I literally I was talking to my friend the other day and I was telling him and then it's so funny because he's a Taurus and I was like you know I was really surprised when I learned that Ghostface Killer was a Taurus he was like Jocelyn that man walked around in a bathrobe with an ornate gold eagle nothing is more Taurus than that and I was like you know what now that I you think got about a point. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You got a point. You, you you got a point there. I was like, I I stand corrected. So yes, I I adore him for um for indulging me in that conversation. It was truly one of the highlights of my week. Anyhow, y'all, we have one more segment to go. It's our thirst segment. It's where we get thirsty and lusty, and we have a lot of fun. And it's also our last and closing segment. But before we do that, Candy, tell the good folks where to find you on social media. Um. The only places I really interact is still on Twitter. I will only refer to it as Twitter because that is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I promo the podcast on my Insta, but I, I don't really interact on it. So, but um, my name on all on all social media is so very tired. It's S the number zero, very tired. So catch me in these Twitter streets until it blows up for good. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I usually always include Candy's, um, the link to her Twitter in our show notes. So you can follow that link and follow her there as you should. And if you want to find her on the others, again, it's that so very tired. So with the number zero. All right. Oh, and as for this podcast, More Wine Pod, um, like Candy, most active on Twitter, do promotions on so on IG and on Tumblr. Um, I am on some of the other apps under the same handle, but for now, it's just there. So um, that is what it is. Okay, let's get into the thirst segment. Each week, we shift from our wholesome thoughts to our less than wholesome thoughts inspired by the property we're covering. We, you know, it's thirsty, y'all. So, you know, we talk about someone from the property that we think is hot. Sometimes I try to get creative. I try to have at least one creative prompt. Like, usually the first prompt is, let's talk about everybody that's hot in this pilot. And then the second prompt is usually something inspired by the pilot that still has a little bit of lusty, dust, you know, lusty, must not musty. Oh, well, I guess it could. No, it shouldn't be musty. I mean, 
Well, I was about to go down this really weird rabbit hole about maybe situations where it could get musty, but no, you don't want it to be lusty and musty, y'all. Like, I don't know. Take a shower. If you're having a marathon session, take a shower. Don't let it get musty, but we're going to get lusty. Okay. All right. So <laughs> I have not even had a full glass of wine and I'm already going down weird, lusty, musty, crusty, trusty um, segment. So welcome to my brain, everyone. <laughs> um, have a great time. Uh, there's snacks here. Okay. Candy, give me your thirst picks from the Raising Canon pilot who who, you know, who's speaking to you. There's so many choices. There's just, I mean, there's a lot of good choices in this pilot, but let me hear yours. Um, I, you know, I gotta steal yours for, I just can't, I cannot act, not acknowledge Patina Miller in this show. Like she is, like I said, she is a queen. She is regal. She is everything. So just, Litter every single scene she's in, she serves, she's flawless, like the hair, the makeup, everything, flawless this entire show. So naming her right off the bat and okay. might be surprising, but I was feeling unique, who is played by Joy Badass. Okay, <laughs> so can I just say, shout out to you and shout out to my good friend Brandy. When this episode comes out, I'm going to tell her about it. I'm going to tell her that we talk about her in the third segment because she, <laughs> Brandy is like my ride or die, like with, especially with the shows. Like usually if it's some shit that I watch, she's probably watching it too. And she like, I, we both gone all in on the spinoffs. And so when I found out she was watching Raising Canaan, she was like, yeah, there's that one man that is so fine. And I thought she was talking about Toby Sandman, who plays Symphony. Nah, she was like, uh-uh. She was like, I mean, he's cute. He's fine. But she was like, uh-uh, honey. I am talking about Unique. And at first, I guess, when I first watched it, I didn't really see it for him. I think it's because I was just so smitten by Rock that I'm like, anyone who doesn't fuck with Rock... <laughs> I can't really even look at them. But then when she was like, girl, he is fine. Go back. Use your eyes. And so I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, put aside the fact that, I, you know, that he is Rock's nemesis, which makes him persona non grata. And I, looked, I was like, oh, okay, okay. I was like, I see it. I was wrong. You were right. Um, his name, so yes. that's, that's, the that is the rapper, Joey, Joey Badass. Um, and yes, honey, he is the face is good and uh just yeah the the way he holds himself and i'm and i'm gonna say i i normally really hate the bad boy trope i don't go for bad boys on purpose like i i've never been down with that but i don't think that unique is bad i mean okay granted he is a drug lord and a king but <laughs> i'm sure he's done not savory things but honestly like i feel like i feel like him and rock are two sides of the same coin like I yes. don't know why he had to end up in this game, but he take, I feel like he's not a punk. He's not like taking it lightly. He's not just running around reckless. Like he takes it seriously and he is trying to do good for his people. Like, you know, he's, he's coming to her and he's like, you know, we, we both suffering. We both in a drought or whatnot. He's concerned for his people. He's like, I can't let my folks down. So I just, yeah, I don't think he's, I, I understand technically he's a villain, but I don't think he, <laughs> the way that he um, chose to act out this role. Yes. He did it so, very well. I and, think um, I have the words. I, I think I have the words you need. It, Go ahead. This, and this comes from The Wire. And this comes from the character Omar on The Wire. And this is not a spoiler, but 
there was one thing that Omar would always say on the wire and it was a man's got to have a code. And I think what you like about unique and it's also what we love about rock is that they appear to be people Maybe even more so when I think about what we see from the pilot, maybe I don't know whether or not Rock has a code when it comes to Kanan. I don't know what to I can't we don't know enough about her in this pilot for me to be able to speak to her code in business. But Unique has a code because to your point, he was he he listened to reason. I liked his openness when after like after uh, uh, what's his buns after D-Wiz and Kanan killed Buck 20 and he's like listen you have put me in an incredibly difficult position because he was one of my people and now they're looking to me because I'm their leader so you can understand the issue here Rock I know you love your son and I get all of the reasons why you're coming to me and trying to appeal to reason but I also got a business to run here and I have optics to manage it i've got i've got employee relations concerns that i'm right. currently over here <laughs> struggling with because your punk because ass kid, kid. And, his, and his punk ass friend decided right. to play cops and robbers on the motherfucking corner that you gave to me rock what are we talking about here like what are we so yes it's sexy a man has to have a code and unique <clears throat> He functions like a person who has a code. You got to have a code in the game. It's why in The Wire, without giving spoilers, it's why we hated Cheese Wagstaff, portrayed by Method Man, and why we all fuck with Slim Charles, portrayed by Anwan Glover, because Cheese was just nasty, just like crack baby energy out here, just like, you know, just no code whatsoever, just shooting shit up and killing people with reckless abandon, just sloppy, not a good person, betraying, you know, betraying people. Whereas Slim Charles, he was a throwback to an older, simpler time where you have a code. Like, we don't shoot people on Sundays. We got the Sunday truce. You got to honor the Sunday truce. Like, you need a code. And when you, and so it's like, yeah, I get, okay, so they're a criminal. I get it, I get it. But are they a criminal with a code? Because if they are a criminal with a code, I'm listening. Like, because usually the ones with the code will have codes around civilians. Are you in the game? Or are you not in the game? And I feel like Unique would have never been talking to Rock about Kanan had Kanan not in started his punk ass in the game but like if rock and unique were having a beef unique doesn't strike me as a type that would be like okay i'm going after your son just on off gp like because because i'm fucking with you like that that's not how unique that's that doesn't seem like how he rose and that's really high and joey badass also has like really like kissable it's like i would just love to kiss his lips like he just <laughs> and that that chocolate chocolate skin mm. yeah i just mm. yeah got swag i like how he carry himself i was like i'm really feeling unique okay <laughs> yes, and, and you know you know he smell good you know he smell good he right smells to good. be fair how you mentioned he never missed either he came with the coats he was always very uh, presentable he wasn't rolling out of bed to do business he took it seriously he you know i appreciate yes. it i yes, appreciate you- the effort and yes. he's just the kind of man you look at and you're like, I know he smell good. He the kind of man, like you give him a hug and you just smell him in your hair for the rest of the day. Like just shivering and having flashbacks. <laughs> like, ooh, like mm, that smell. Good Lord. Like, mm. yes, he was in his grills. I, I appreciate. <laughs> yes. 
immaculate, always serving the looks. And I like your point about them being two sides of the same coin, because we do learn from Rock's conversations with Unique is that his brother had been the head of that family business. And then now his brother is locked away for the rest of, I think he says the rest of his natural life. And it kind of feels like Unique was like, well, fuck it. I guess I got to take it on my back now. And now I'm going to do it. So they do. They, so I want them, even though they're enemies, um, I very much want them to be the power couple that I deserve. Um, <laughs> it, I'm, I'm still waiting. Um, I, you know, I don't know that that ever happens because it's just, it's like, yeah, the trust just wouldn't be there. Like, I don't think they could ever trust each other, but I'm like, because even, even the way he looks at her, like, I'm like, yeah, you feeling it. You feeling it. And I know, like I said, I know he, I know he smell good. And I know she rolled up there, you know, full of piss and vinegar rolling, waiting to cuss his ass out. But she like, mm, you need to be smelling good though. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I yes. Okay. Did not, I did not think we were going to talk about Joey Badass that long, but he deserves because you need well. to shine. Yes. Yes. So anyone else? Sorry. I've stepped in and intervened, but no, shout no, out to my friend Brandy because like I said, yeah, no, that's okay. what I mean. <laughs> so I just, of course, I had I had Joy Badass. I had Unique on my list. Um, again, shout out to you, Brandy, because she was the one that put me on. And we spend a lot of time <laughs> lusting over Joey Badass. Like whenever he, if he posts something on IG and he's looking good, I'll send it to her. Be like, mm, girl. But we also <laughs> lust over Toby Sandman, a.k.a. Symphony Bosquet, because he is gorgeous. Um, Symphony Mm, and those lines he was like, I like that he wasn't intimidated by rock. Like <laughs> everything about rock would to me give me the vibe like, child, let me leave this lady alone. Let me not say anything. Let me just <laughs> right. go, you know, wipe down the bar. But he wasn't intimidated. He leaned all in and he didn't hesitate to like throw a little game her way. And I'm like, I like you, Symphony. I like that. I like that. That's what you like. Cause that says a lot. That's a man that's going to eat your pussy the first time. I'm telling y'all. <laughs> so. Shout out to the Symphony Baskets of the world. And of course, as Candy noted, queen of queens, love of my life, my sun, my moon, my stars, my everything, my heart, my entire being, Patina Miller. Y'all, if you don't follow her on IG, make your life better and follow her. She's an amazing just human being. And she runs the marathon in New York for charity every year. And she's gearing up for that. She's just fantastic and spectacular and gorgeous. Just so painfully fucking gorgeous. I'm like, how dare you? Also, doesn't hurt that she's a fellow Scorpio. So... You're welcome, y'all. I'm telling y'all, like, nice. there, you know, we've got some quality on our side. You know, Gabrielle Union, also fellow Scorpio. Like, I'm like, mm, y'all some fine-ass women, child. I'm just trying to be like y'all someday. Okay. <laughs> Two honorable mentions, London Brown, a.k.a. Uncle Marvin, because he does. He is, he is, Uncle Marvin is absolutely like the prototype of a guy <laughs> we've had a crush on in high school. <laughs> I wouldn't have had a crush on, uh, on like someone Uncle Marvin's age, but like the brown skin, the fade, the leather jacket, the coochie sweat. I'm like, yeah, I would have had a crush on you in high school. Also, <laughs> Lulu. When Lulu had on that Sherlin jacket and that little hat, I was like, okay, yeah, okay. Lulu. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I know you ain't no good. Like, you give me fuckboy vibes, especially the way he immediately moved on Famous' sister. But I'm like, you cute, though. You cute. Okay. Final prompt. Raising Canaan, Candy had it all. We had family drama, drugs, murder, mayhem, hustling. 
But we also had some sweet moments and good old 90s pitching a woo, whether it was Davina rendering Kane speechless, the sweetness of jukebox and Nicole, or Symphony striking a chord with rock. In honor of this good old 90s love and crushes candy, I'm asking you for two things. One, give me a few of your favorite 90s crushes. Think actors, singers, rappers, whomever, um, who were big in that era. And two, give us a few of your favorite 90s love jams. Okay, so I am a I'm a '90s kid. I'm a kid from the '90s, and um, so this is this is my time. This is my era. <laughs> so my first celebrity crush when I was a kid was Mike Vitar from The Sandlot, Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Oh, ooh, yeah, he was a cutie patootie. Yes. He was my first celebrity. Like when I was a kid, I was like, ah. So <laughs> he was my crush awakening when I was a child in the '90s, and um. There's also one guy who popped in and out throughout the 90s, and I, I'm i very surprised that he didn't blow up. Do you remember Brandon, Brandon Adams? He was he was the black boy in movies in the 90s. Like, he was in Mighty Ducks. He was in People Under the Stairs. He was the, the black boy with the curly hair. And I feel like he was in everything, And but I have not seen him in years, and I always wondered what happened to him. And I was always surprised that he didn't blow up. Oh, I do remember him. He was. He was in a in right? all like, of the he things. He was in a lot of, he was in so much stuff and then you just never saw him again. So I don't, I'm, I'm wondering if he just walked away from Hollywood, but you know, there's a couple of black actors from the nineties that I was like, whatever happened to them? How they were in everything. And then they just boom, disappeared. But I yes. always had a crush on him too. He was, I think he was in the Sandlot too. He was in my formative uh, child 90s movies. I thought he was Cutie Patootie. So those are two big ones for me. Uh, okay. Brandon Adams and Mike Vitar. And the song that was a go to for me in the 90s was, and this is a song like that guys would like play for you if they liked you, is mm-hmm. LL Cool J Hey Lover. Oh, which okay. Oh, we were okay. Kids. We were kids and had no business. <laughs> you know, I feel like there was. I was going to say that is such a. I was going to talk about the fact that that. Okay, but let me be very clear. Let me interject this point because somebody is at home thinking it. I just want us to all understand that "Hey Love" is a dirty, <laughs> is a dirty Mackin song. Like that's not a love song. That's a dirty Mackin song because he's absolutely making a move on a person. <laughs> Yes. Girlfriend. yes, is he Girl. so I, I don't know if this mm-hmm. is the school that I went to, but this is the song that mm-hmm. guys, if guys had a crush on you, they would like play it on their uh their boombox. They were dirty mackins. Like, like, like they were dirty mackins. Like, oh, he's into me. So I don't know. We really mm-hmm. liked that song when I was a kid, and it's super mm-hmm. inappropriate. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. talking about like putting ice cream on women's legs it was very inappropriate but we all really mm-hmm. liked that song so mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was the song song of love when I was a, a kid a preteen <laughs> when I thought I knew about love preteen candy and the boys out here dirty macking mm-hmm. in the 90s <laughs> that was romance. dirty macking it Dirty Mac in the LL. Okay. All right. I see y'all. I see y'all love 90s. And y'all were quite, y'all were quite literally babies. I was not a baby in the 90s. So my questions are going to be a little bit. A a young teen. Yeah. That's my time. That was my time. (laughs) 
Get your baby. I, yeah. So my, my question is going to be a little bit different. They're going to be a little bit older. Um, uh, okay. So Tupac and Khalil Kane. Cause I was thinking a lot about like nineties movies okay. and I had the biggest crush. I had the biggest crush on Khalil Kane from Juice cause he was Raheem. And I remember being mad at Tupac because his character, you know, because of what happens to Raheem and Juice. But Khalil Kane was fine. Mm. And Tupac, I mean, forever crush, but like peak nineties, like hotness, like of what course. I also had Alan Payne because I shed a tear when G-Money was killed in New Jack City and Alan Payne was just that dude for, for a stretch in the 90s where he was just, ooh, he was fine, baby. Um, and then I had to show some love. Janet Jackson was also that girl in the 90s. Like, I mean, the, yes, the whole poetic justice era with the rock, the box braids. And then when she came out with sort of like the sandy curly hair and did that video again for poet. I mean, just fine, fine. Decades fine, but absolutely 90s fine. And speaking of fine women in the 90s shout out to nabouche right so if you haven't watched dead presidents i don't know i'm not saying you need to watch it it's not it's an okay movie but nabouche right is fine it's a, a gorgeous gorgeous woman who was a lot of people's crushes in the 90s so shout out to her and i feel like the ultimate 90s it girl was nia long um you know between friday and love jones nia was the moment <laughs> so and i have fair, one more question and this is a sentimental crush because this is one that I, I adored him. And unfortunately, he had a very, he was taken away too soon. I had the biggest crush on Merlin Santana. So if y'all don't know who Merlin Santana was, he was on the Cosby show. He was like one of Rudy's boyfriends. He's He plays Stanley and he was like a rival to Bud. And then he was also, oh, what yes, you'll yes, probably, yes. yeah, what you probably know Merlin Santana more for is him being on the Steve Harvey show where he played Romeo Santana. Um but see, he's uh, another one of those black boys. I was in a lot of stuff too that I thought was yeah, going to blow was, up. But, he was, well, but, he, was, he, was but he, was he was killed. So that's why he didn't blow up because he was killed. He no, was that, he was set, yeah, yeah. yeah, he was set up in a robbery and killed. And it was just a really, really terrible, terrible, like just those people can go to hell. Um, I do think had he not been had his, life, been his, had his life not been cut down so soon that he would have continued to thrive and have a great career because, I mean, he was continuing to work right up until that time. So I, I think we would have continued to see him. So very sad and sentimental crush, but who, baby, the crush I had on Merlin Santana from a very young age, just fine as all get out, just a good looking man. So rest in peace, Merlin Santana. Um, okay, so... My songs, I was also thinking again about 90s movies because that, I mean, that was a big thing. Like, you know, you go on movie dates, like, you know, you go and you see, and then like the movies would have like these soundtracks with all these amazing like love songs on them. So for me, um, a lot, it's a lot of Tony, Tony, Tony. So whether it's just me and you hey. from Boys in the Hood soundtrack, uh, whatever you want, lay your head on my pillow or my all time fave slow line. Ooh, baby. I went to go see them live recently and just the things that that did to me, I was like, mm. Um, also from the 90s some of the good hits uh, Die Without You by PM Dawn I love that Boomerang soundtrack but that song in particular was everything in the 90s and then basically just give me Jodeci's first two albums Forever My Lady and Die of a Mad Bad just play the whole just play them straight through I mean that's it that's it they were everything and another group that was everything to me in the 90s but I'll highlight a few of their love songs was SWV so give me Week yeah. give me Rain give me Use Your Heart um, also in Vogue the girls were giving so I love the song Don't Go, which is a love song. And I also love the song Don't Let Go, which was on the Set It Off soundtrack. But amazing, 
um, swoony, lovey-dovey song by In Vogue. Um, I had to sprinkle in a little bit of John B because he feels very 90s to me because I love don't, <laughs> they don't know. And of course, I love Baby, Are You Still Down that he did with Tupac because that was a jam. And then I said again by Janet Jackson since I had already been thinking about Janet Jackson when I was thinking about my crushes. And that's it. That's my list. Go download those songs. Go put them on a playlist. They're amazing, especially yeah, just, I just can't go wrong. Jodeci was a big thing in the 90s. And that's another song, too, where if you like somebody, when Come and Talk to Me comes on, you ask the person you like to dance. That was a big thing for me when I was younger. That was like the big move. (laughs) Come and Talk to Me. Every dance, they had to play Come and Talk to Me. And that's when you're like, all right, I'll make my move on the person I like. Or you're, you're waiting and you're hoping that the guy that you like will ask you to dance to Come and Talk to Me. Yes, that was that was serious belly. We used to call them the that belly rubbing songs. And I can't remember, this might not be a 90s song, but when I was coming up, it was also Let's Chill by Guy. That was a big one that got played okay. like every dance. Um, mm-hmm. That might have been middle school, though. So that might have been 80s. Um, but that would be when, like, they would play, like, we have a gym jam. It was 1990. Like, it would be, like, you know, you have your little gym jams and people dance and get all sweaty. And then it'd be like, okay, we're going to slow it down. And it would always be, let's chill. Or if you had, like, a house party, that would be, like, okay, find your person. Get your belly rubbing. Anyhow, <laughs> I, miss, I miss slow dancing. Slow dancing is a lost art. We don't slow dance enough anymore as adults. Like, go somewhere and slow dance, y'all. Find someone, make you, you know, make you a playlist and do a little slow dance or do a little solo, like a little slow two-step, but you know, enjoy some, some slow down music, some romantical music, some music to get you in the mood. You don't need a partner to enjoy it. Enjoy yourself. Okay. Well, I'm talking about know. like my middle school. That's when it was innocent and cute and crushes. Cause I feel like by the time I moved up to the high school, our slow dancing was genuine pony and there was not much dancing going on. It was just, yeah, uh, no, nah, y'all were just bumping and grinding at that point. By the late nineties. By the yeah. late nineties, the romance is yeah. gone. So yeah. Bump and grinding and apparently dirty macking. All right, Daniel, well, start that closing music. Um, as always, y'all, thank you for listening to this week's episode of I'm Any More Wine. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell everyone you know to do the same. If you love us, please leave us a five-star review and tell a friend to subscribe. Um, and you know, uh, what was I gonna say? If you have longer feedback, things you want to hear us talk about, morewinepod at gmail.com. Check out recent episodes. You know I love messy women. Candy and I recently talked about messy women on our episode about the Good Girls pilot, which was a super, just a ton of fun. As Candy noted, I spent a lot of time thinking about the Roman Empire. So Candy and I have also done recent episodes on both Spartacus and Rome. And we're coming back to both of those because those have done really well. And so we're going to do some more. I just have to find the time to like watch more of it and do an outline. But I do want to get back to both of them very soon. And I've also got episodes with uh, On the Bear with Solomon, Missouri. I've got recent episodes on Pitch, How to Get Away with Murder, Justified City Primeval, and cult classic faves like Shameless and Teen Wolf. Whole p- catalog is there morewinepod.buzzsprout.com if you go there you can see all the links to all of the different platforms where you can find this podcast whether you are a good pods person spotify person apple music person whatever it is that you your apple podcast person whatever you use the links will all be on morewinepod.buzzsprout.com and be sure to follow this pod on twitter and ig at morewinepod also there uh also same handle on tumblr um all right candy thank you for this very fun conversation about 
about Raising Canaan. I can't wait. Please keep me posted as you continue to watch. And I hope that y'all will give it a try. It is a very good show. Like I said, just a complete subversion of expectations. An amazing coming of age story. Yes, it's got the drugs, the hustling and the game, but some really great personal stories featuring these characters. Um, And again, it just doesn't get better than Bettina Miller and her portrayal. Rock is everything. If you support women's rights and women's wrongs, then Raquel Thomas is a character for you. Uh, if you like, I said, if you like a Gemma Telemaro, you know, if you're Sons of Anarchy person, Raquel Thomas is your kind of girl. She's your kind of carrying on. So check it out. I hope we have, you know, encouraged some of you all to give it a try with our conversation today. We will talk to y'all next time. Bye. Bye. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network.